Welcome to We Are The Protectors. I'm Andy Johnson. And in this series of podcasts, I chat with some of the BT security team to learn more about their role and more about the role that BT plays in keeping the nation safe. In this episode, my guest is BT Securities Managing Director, Kevin Brown. We discuss BT's response to the coronavirus pandemic and how the business is keeping customers, colleagues and communities securely connected as we go through the most challenging period in recent history. Now, Kevin, you have an enormous responsibility for all elements of BT security activity. How on earth do you cope? Well, Andy, uh, it's a great question. Uh, first of all, it's uh, how I cope is thankfully down to a fantastic and highly skilled team of over 3,000 people. But I guess breaking that down on sort of if I look at day to day, I guess one of the things I always look at is I have to be aware and I have to be curious. What do I mean by that is I'm constantly looking to say, well, what's changed in my day-to-day since yesterday? That could be geopolitics. It could be the threat landscape. Something across the globe could have changed. So what does that then mean in terms of tomorrow? What does it mean or what's likely to change in the forthcoming days, forthcoming weeks, forthcoming months? And then what does that mean to actually the strategy that I set out for our team and the vision that I've set and making sure that actually from my team, they're fantastic have they got the right tools? Are they appropriately equipped to be successful? So describe to me if you can, I bet there's no such thing as a typical day in your role, but as best you can, when you wake up in the morning, what you do first and how you go about assessing what the day ahead holds for you. Yeah, my my daily routine is um, I'm I'm up. Then the first thing I'm doing is quick, quick look at the news the headlines is whilst I've been asleep, as there's something that's dramatically happened that could change the threat landscape that we manage our risks against. And then it's straight into whilst I've been asleep, I have the benefit of a 24 by 7 teams straight into my daily briefing that's prepared that we also send out to a number of customers that, again, is highlighting what's happening across the globe from a cyber threat perspective. And that enables me to say, look, is there any action that I need to take now or my need, my team needs to take? over and above the activities that we've got in train so as soon as I'm up it's really what's changed has anything changed is there any course correction that we need as a team and tell me about your background because it's in law enforcement isn't it yeah absolutely I was 20 years in law enforcement um, and I I joined BT half years ago but during my law enforcement time um, primarily focused on uh, serious crime and intelligence uh, quite right, wide ranging, but but dealing with the most complex of matters. And that's where I guess I got a bit of an insight as to BT and the role that they play, uh, not just as a business, but the role they play in supporting the UK and in sort of a systemic part of the protection of the UK. And how did you find the difference moving from law enforcement into working for BT? It was, um, I found the transition very easy. Um, I was a little bit nervous. I'm sure many people have made that hop where you've been 20 years working in one sector and you some some refer to sort of jumping to the other side. Yeah. Uh, but what I what I found and what the synergy I found with BT is actually it was about the core objective of BT was to support its customers against uh, particularly in security against those that want to commit crime in effect that want to stop you having the connections or the access to uh, the technology that may be out there. So it was a pretty seamless transition. But that was also um, 
because of BT itself and it really makes you feel welcome and really helps with the transition. So whilst I transition from the police and law enforcement into BT, uh, we take many people from military and uh, the armed services, so that uh, the armed forces, so that actually there is a smooth path. So whether you're transitioning from public sector or your private sector to private sector, it's a real focus on making sure that the entry into BT is as smooth as it possibly can be. You're listening to BT's We Are The Protectors podcast. Get in the know about cybersecurity in this series of interviews with some of BT's senior security team. Now, of course, the coronavirus pandemic is no traditional national security risk, is it? Uh, it it's, it's, I think, an un, unprecedented risk in so many levels, I think it's, it's fair to say. And what particular challenges has it posed? I, th- I think when you look at uh, the, the pandemic and the coronavirus, um, it's posed many risks in which we'll go through. But, but also, I think it's given such an opportunity for organisations, individuals to change their working practice, change their lives. But where, where we look at uh, the pandemic in itself, um, first of all, sadly, you have to look at the criminal element. And I'm sure that we've all seen in the, in the papers, there are those that are trying to take advantage of people's vulnerabilities, people's trust, perhaps, that they give in an email coming through. Um, so we've seen a significant surge of phishing. This is where there may be an email that purports to be from a charity or from the government um, asking for information, but criminals are trying to seek your personal information or trying to seek money from you. At the same time, as we've seen um, a, a, a massive change of people working in offices to now working in their houses, and their required requirement on connectivity from your house into your business through your most people work laptop. Um, criminals have tried to target that secure connectivity that's called a VPN, a virtual private network, that gives you an element of security from your laptop back into your uh, office estate. So people have been trying to target target that. Um, but in terms of more more broadly. Um, I think it's given people the opportunity to sort of step back and say, well, actually, yes, I've been traveling to that office or I've been traveling to that face to face meeting for some time. But actually, I've been able to operate in the same way to the same level, provide the same service. And I've been able to cut out that traveling and I've been using some of the many collaboration tools that um, that, that are available to everybody. Now, you've said, of course, um, we've seen particular challenges that this has presented um, from Criminals, and we've we've heard, haven't we, from the UK's National Cyber Security Agency and their US counterparts. If you said there's been a large-scale password spraying campaign against healthcare bodies and medical research organisations, something that you, I'm sure, are more than well aware of. Yeah, absolutely. It's if you look at every front, really, there has been a an, a significant increase, um, and sadly, targeting sort of healthcare, uh, the, the 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 sort of biochemical industry, um, where it is about uh, trying to access, trying to leverage the moment for for uh, I, I guess very sad times of can they almost enact another wanna cry at a time of desperation where everybody is so reliant on healthcare services. But what we have seen is certainly from the UK is a massive response by the likes of the NCSC to protect the NHS, uh, also to raise awareness um, of, of our consumers as to uh, what harm is out there. Um, and for ourselves, actually, the role we play in a society in the UK and across the globe means that we, 
we do get involved in stuff to raise the awareness. We do see it as part of our responsibility to make sure that consumers um, are aware of the risks. And one of the things we have done, in addition to working jointly with the National Cyber Security Centre on some information, we've also joined a partnership with ITV um, and come out with our top tech tips, where we have a number of our uh, sort of BT Sport celebrities um, who are actually turning their hand to offering some basic advice during primetime telly to help people better navigate the cyber threats and use the technology safely. You're also a member, aren't you, of the World Economic Forum project to tackle cybercrime. I imagine that's been ramped up considerably since the pandemic struck. Yeah, through the uh, the World Economic Forum and the, uh, the Cybercrime Centre, it's quite a unique platform where you can... Uh, gather key industries together with with shared objectives and uh, certainly last year I started and I lead a project which is uh, trying to raise the standards uh, international standards across uh, telecommunication countries across the globe and that's really where in the UK uh, BT was the first and in fact the first globally to form a very strong partnership with the National Cyber Security Centre to try and take some of the the sort of the more volumetric attacks um, out of the system before they landed with consumer homes. We call it active cyber defence. And with the World Economic Forum, it's been a, a good neutral stage to try and encourage other uh, businesses to join similar partnerships with their own governments. But ultimately, what we're doing on a global stage then is, is raising the bar to entry for cyber criminals. So we're making it more difficult. We're adding more risk. If people want to commit criminality, they know that there is a chance now, a higher risk that they're going to get caught. And we continue to support the World Economic Forum on uh, that initiative and indeed a number of others. Take me back to when you first heard about this pandemic. What were your immediate thoughts? Um, Actually, it was one of calmness, uh, believe it or not. And I guess this is where 20 years of of policing uh, sort of comes in to say that there is a something that is likely to land with us that we've never experienced and hopefully will never experience again in due course. But recognising this was not a time to panic. This was a time to now draw back on the playbooks that we had as organisation, indeed many of our customers, to recognise that we have business continuity plans that, that we've put a lot of time, we've rehearsed, we've tested, uh, planning for scenarios such as this. I'll be honest, not on the scale. But then more importantly, this was a time to make sure that um, both myself and my leadership time, we were, uh, my leadership team, we were very conscious of the, the new demands that would be placed on us as leaders. Uh, and, and certainly this was, the, this was the time where leadership was going to be absolutely critical. You're listening to BT's We Are The Protectors podcast. Get in the know about cybersecurity in this series of interviews with some of BT's senior security team. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure, obviously, huge organisations like BT, as you say, are well-versed in trying to practice for extreme situations, but you've never faced anything like this. So it's all very well rehearsing, isn't it? And then you're faced with the the real deal. How does that change you? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We spend a lot of time rehearsing and what we call black swan exercises. We we test many scenarios and we come up with uh, playbooks and business continuity plans. But we also recognise that those plans uh, are not encompassing of every type of pandemic or every type of situation. Therefore, it's recognising that you have the basics that will be in there. Then 
through your leadership, being very transparent, recognizing that you have skills across the organization. So it's how you then channel to say, look, we have the plans. This is the direction that we're having, but being very open to people who may be able to help or may be able to offer feedback that says, well, that course is not quite right. Or have you considered this way? And at the same time, really leveraging strong relationships, not just across the industry, uh, but on this case, recognising there were sort of country specific regulations and asks from governments which changed uh, country by country. So making sure that all of those relationships, all of those collaborations really played a part in making sure that the response to the pandemic was one that where possible, you had the best holistic view and you're able to make informed decisions. Without betraying any confidences, how far up do your connections go? I mean, you are working, obviously, as you say, with with governments around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing to uh, recognise, in the UK, we're a critical national infrastructure provider. And outside of the UK, we're one of the largest uh, providers of uh, connectivity uh, for many organisations. So therefore, um, our global role is of the utmost importance to everyone. And whilst there may be any many organisations that haven't been able to function because of the pandemic or requirements to work differently, that's not something that's ever been on the cards for us. We have to. Um, and our ability to connect and protect customers and governments uh, cannot waver at all. So in terms of our reach, uh, absolutely in the UK was uh, sort of direct relationships with the government in every level because of the importance of keeping the country connected uh, during this most challenging time. And then likewise in other governments as well, making sure that um, key industries, key governments could continue to function. Of course, you have such a range and scope of different customers and clients. And how have you made sure that their needs are met in such unprecedented times? So I think the the first thing to sort of recognise is throughout this pandemic, uh, right from the start, our staff have been front and centre of our thinking. And therefore, whilst there is a temptation to say, yes, at all costs, uh, we've got to continue with that service, all cost doesn't count. All cost doesn't come into it. It's our staff first and foremost. And that means that there have been times where we've had to deliver services in a different way, more remotely. Uh, and our customers have been very receptive. But what we have done with each of our customers as the pandemic moved across the globe, um, and I guess the fact that being a global organisation did give us that fantastic insight as we started to learn what we saw in China, then uh, more more sort of broadly in Asia pack, we were able to get a far richer understanding of what organisations were likely to need. And therefore, when we saw it sort of really hit mainland Europe and the UK, we were better prepared to offer our thought leadership out to those customers to say, well, look, this is what we think that you should be doing. This is what we think you will need in terms of taking your workforce from the office to their home. And that's been the main challenge is uh, how do organisations or how have organisations transitioned their workforce? Um, some may have had 50% that were office bound, others have had 100%. And what you're finding now is, I think the average stat is around 90% of the globe are working remotely. And that's exactly the same for BT. So very quickly offering that thought leadership, that advice, and how they can uh, maintain their operations whilst working from home, and also then helping them understand the risks that are associated with that. 
I wonder how much bigger the threat is with so many more of us, as you just said, working from home and working online. Yeah, I, I think the risk the risk surface changes, the threat landscape changes because you've gone from, uh, as an organisation, you know who works from home, you know where your critical assets are, and you would have set your risk posture. Overnight, that's almost ripped up because you now want to maintain your business. And therefore, uh, many organisations have had to have a little bit more risk in their business uh, to enable their functions to continue. The important thing is recognising where you've added those risks, being, being, having made conscious decisions to introduce those, that, that risk or accept that risk, and then be in a position where you then can follow it up to say, okay, we are going to mitigate it. This is a short-term risk that we're going to accept, um, but this is the longer-term strategy. And a great example will be there are certain um, uh, certain sectors and there'll be cer- certain services that are provided by customers that, you know what, they're, they're using older laptops because the technology that they're supporting may not be able to run on Windows 10 that has far better security. They st- and we work with customers who are still working on laptops that are not supported because it was never envisaged that they would go outside of their sort of fixed estate. All of a sudden, that capability needs to be taken and accessed from what we call the red side, so access from the internet. So that's a great example of where you make a conscious decision, you have to put some short-term mitigation in place, but it's having now the, the the knowledge and the roadmap that says, okay, this is now the sort of the, we've done the short term, this is the medium term strategy in terms of the security, this is the longer term. Because at the same time, organisations are going through that, criminals will be fully conversant with what changes will be needed by organisations, they will know the vulnerabilities that were there and they will be looking to exploit it. You're listening to BT's We Are The Protectors podcast, Get in the know about cybersecurity in this series of interviews with some of BT's senior security team. We've talked about we've talked about criminals as well, Kevin. But the other thing to remember, I suppose, and we have to be aware of, and I know you're very much aware of this, there was a report by Verizon published last year, 2019, saying that more than a quarter of cyber breaches are internal. So insider threat is still a big risk, isn't it? And there's more people working online at home companies have to be aware of that don't they yeah it's what we call the sort of the basics to cyber security um, and within bt uh, we run a program what we call the human firewall because good security comes from people process and technology so you can have the best technology but if there are mistakes that are made um, they they can leave the doors wide open so that's where it's really important to make sure that cyber hygiene is equally applied in your house and what it is in the office, and even more so in the house. And it does go beyond just the cyber, so what you're physically doing on your laptop, because there will be people that are printing stuff at home. It may feel it's necessary to print. Whereas in the office, most people have shredders. Do you have that equally applied in in the home as well? So we, and again, a number of organisations that we've worked with, uh, rolled out a lot of education to remind people that just because they're working from home doesn't give them that that free blanket of security. It doesn't mean that they they're going to be less less attacked or less exposed. If anything, it will be uh, contrary to that. So that's been sort of really important. I suppose it's an education thing, isn't it? Because when you're working at home, the psychological difference is quite stark isn't it because you might feel more relaxed we're probably wearing more relaxed clothing we're not having to get dressed up to go out to the office so you've got to be mindful of those those things and not being too relaxed and 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 posing a risk 
No, absolutely. And I think that's where uh, the NCSC and a number of governments around the world have published the advisories, have raised the awareness. Um, and it's not trying to scare people, but it is the reality of the situation. You can't be any more comfortable in your house uh, with your work laptop than what you would be in the office. Uh, as I say, and we've pushed out a, a number of programs uh, that are uh, that are basic, that are just reminding people that if you leave your laptop in your house, just make sure you log off the same which you with the office. Try and keep your desk clear. Make sure actually the websites that you're uh, you're clicking onto are the right websites. And just because you're at home doesn't mean that you can go off and browse anything. Making sure that actually your laptop is online sufficient so that it can have the automatic updates. Um, and it's been good to see actually a lot of organisations now have, have really pushed out the awareness uh, as the weeks have progressed that people uh, work from home. And, and as we sit here now, um, we're, we're, we're planning for a number of more weeks working from home as well. And so critically, as people have been told about social distancing and, and keeping to wash their hands, their cyber hygiene is just as important. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a, a great analogy, really. Everybody will, will have heard and, and will probably have paid attention to wash your hands and sing a song at the same time, uh, equally apply to uh, the, what you do with your, your work laptop. Um, and, it, and I think it's, it's a case of, uh, and certainly the discussions I've had with my team, is you have to build your patterns up and you have to build that good discipline in your house of your working environment so it doesn't all become blurred. Uh, and you, your own personal risk appetite for where you use your own devices, it may be different to what you apply at work. Now's the time where you have to apply sort of equal thought to both. And of course, with something like this, something that's impacted the globe, there's been a number of conspiracy theories floating around, including the the, the you know 5G phone mass, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder how you deal with those as an organisation and what impact they might have on your day-to-day -day work. Well, I, I think, first of all, um, let's be clear, there is no linkages between 5G and the virus. Um, and um, it's pretty sad that whilst sort of uh, the teams are, have been heavily occupied with keeping our customers, keeping our governments connected, keeping our staff safe, we then have this added burden of the conspiracy theories, which um, I think really brings to the forefront of uh, how disinformation can lead to physical attacks and significant damage to not just our network, but other networks. We as ourselves have dealt with over 40 incidents now of either physical damage to parts of our network, uh, people and engineers that are, are out there that they're taking risks themselves to keep the country connected, yet they're being spat at, they've been assaulted. Uh, and it's really not acceptable whatsoever. And I think whilst people may uh, sadly thought that if they see a mask, it must be 5G and have decided to, for whatever reason, uh, damage it. At the same time, they don't necessarily uh, recognise the impact that's having. And we've had a number of instances where uh, there has been then connectivity uh, challenges to local hospitals or local infrastructure. And, and we've had to respond very quickly take resources off of perhaps keeping the nation connecting in other ways to make sure that those critical infrastructures can continue. Um, so it's clear that these kind of attacks have had a real impact on potential you know, life-threatening situations if hospitals could be could be damaged or threatened. Absolutely. It's, it's sort of mindless acts uh, against a, a, a conspiracy theory that's not backed by any science uh, or anyone with any credibility. Um, but what I will say is um, our relationship with UK government, 
um, has has really come to the forefront here. And I think UK government recognised at an early stage how serious this was, uh, as did policing, the National Crime Agency taking the lead uh, to ensure that the right response was taken, that I could be in a position where uh, we could reassure our staff uh, that hopefully they were not going to be attacked, that the police were investigating it in a very serious nature and all incidents would be treated with uh, extreme seriousness. Uh, but it's been a, a massive um, labour-intensive area of work to course-correct uh, and make sure that our staff were not unnecessarily attacked, well, not, not unnecessarily, but just not attacked full stop. And of course, you, you've already mentioned you've got 3,000 people working in the BT security team. You've got to look after their well-being and, and their health in this time of, of, of national and global crisis. Yeah, and it's not just the 3,000. If we look across BT, over 100,000 employees. So it's making sure that their uh, safety and, and, and mental well-being is at the forefront of everything that we're, we're doing. And whilst you plan, your pandemic plans will talk about the steps that you you deal with um, there wasn't a chapter in our one that says well during the pandemic uh, this is how you deal with uh, your engineers that are out there keeping the country connected when they're being assaulted by uh, mindless acts because of uh, conspiracy theories so that's one of the ways in which we have to very quickly shift and make sure that uh, we have the right plans but coming back to the staff uh, and and the, the teams that I have safety at the forefront so making sure that we understand the guidance that comes from the governments in whatever country it may be that where uh, people have to be in the work in, in the actual work environment in the office that we have the right elements of social distancing cleaning safeguards that they feel comfortable but the actual uh, resources that are still in buildings really the minimum that it has to be um, and that's part of our critical national infrastructure protection work. You're listening to BT's We Are The Protectors podcast. Get in the know about cybersecurity in this series of interviews with some of BT's senior security team. I know we're still in the middle of this and hopefully things are starting to get better, but I wonder what lessons you think we will learn and certainly you will learn in your role uh, when we look back on what's happened. I think one of the lessons we've learned is uh, it's recognised that there's not a playbook for every situation. It's recognised the need to be agile, recognised the, the need to work very collaboratively with other organisations, in some ways with your competitors, so that actually where you have a shared objective, in certainly in the UK, of keeping the nation connected, some of those traditional business barriers may be put to one side. Um, and I think that's one of the sort of the, the main takeaways is, is collaboration in many forms, but then also recognising that technology has a far bigger role to play in keeping the globe connected. And I'm sure that uh, many of us now, including myself, uh, I won't be doing the travelling that I've done previously in previous years around the world because actually using the collaboration tools of, of Teams uh, or, or, or other uh tools that are available out there you can have just as much engagement you can still have that same level of conversation with a customer or a colleague versus the face-to-face -face. so i think there will be significant adjustments uh, once people and that once the restrictions start to be lifted we've talked about the importance of your team i wonder how you maintain the talent pool yeah it's uh, first of all it's, it's sort of a, an ever-challenging um ever-challenging role uh, 
I think I look at it to say it's not so much as maintaining the sort of the talent um, uh, the, the talent pipeline, but it's making sure that the visibility of what we do is understood by uh, by various audiences. And what do I mean by that? I, I go back to when I first walked through the doors of, of BT. And one of the reasons I sort of moved to BT um, in some ways was uh, a bit of curiosity and uh, the opportunity and there is so much available from from within BT and therefore it's making sure that people know the role that BT and BT security plays in protecting the UK protecting many of our multinational customers and therefore being able to recognize that it it's it's not just a job it's more than a job you're making a difference day in day out and being able to give that visibility to those that are considering a career in cybersecurity, giving that visibility inside BT, I think really helps. I think the other thing too, when I talk about pipeline, is that we have really a multi-pronged approach. Yes, I'm looking for the skilled hires that will be there, but actually I'm looking for people where I can reskill. And then we have a really big focus on our entry-level programs of apprentices and graduates that are really starting their careers in, in cybersecurity. So what qualities and skills do you look for in people? So uh, it's it's a range. I think the one thing that um, still needs to be perhaps demystified is when sometimes people think of cybersecurity, they go straight to, well, that's a heavy technical career. Well, in fact, it's not. It's a career that comes in many different forms. Within cybersecurity in my team, I need strategists. I need strong operational people. Yes, I need the technical people. So it's it's really been open-minded to say there's a whole multitude of skills. But coming back to it, it's curiosity that I'm looking for, it's hunger, it's that willingness to learn, because as technology changes, as threats change day in, day out, uh, our skill set has to evolve. So that willingness to learn is absolutely critical. And I always say that if, if people have got the attitude to take on this role, uh, then that's the main behaviour that I'm, I'm looking for. How on earth do you relax? Uh, that's, that's a fantastic question. Uh, it's, it's, it's part of, um, I think, having a, a great team. I have the confidence in my team that I can relax um, and I do step away from it. Myself being very disciplined to say that, okay, there will be times where uh, I will go offline, I will leave my email, I will leave my phone. And I know that uh, we've got good incident management processes. So if something does happen, I'm reliant on the process to be able to, uh, to, to to make sure that we can respond and it's not necessarily down to myself. So come on then, Kevin, give us a few insider details. And is it going for a run? Is it watching some trash TV? What, what helps you to, to switch off? So a bit, a bit of both, really. So uh, trash TV is a real luxury. Uh, and actually, it's one of the things that I've noticed I have missing. Um, now I'm not commuting into London. I used to use, always use Netflix going into London, coming out of London as a sort of switch on, switch off. Uh, but I've noticed actually I have missed that. So at the moment it's cycling, um, not outside the house. For me, it's on my Peloton bike, which I invested in just before uh, lockdown. Uh, but also I've been doing a house renovation as well. So uh, for the last couple of years, and that gives me the opportunity of doing something totally different to my day job. Um, and requires me to focus on something that's not to do with cyber. So when you're not in the lycra or not donning a hammer, smashing up the kitchen or whatever, um, I wonder what keeps you awake at night? Anything? <laughs> um, I, I guess it, it's, it's, it's the unknown, 
we, 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 we have some great capabilities. We do lots of advanced analytics where you're looking for the known knowns. Uh, but, but our search is always for that unknown unknown. It's having the confidence that you've done everything you can to be best, best protected. Um, and whilst on, in one thought, I'm thinking, yes, we've rehearsed, we have the best team, we've tested ourselves through our ethical hackers. There's always a curious part that says, well, what about this? What about that? So there's always that sort of fight going on to say, have we done everything that's reasonably possible to protect ourselves and our customers? Or there's a little niggle that says, well, actually, is there something that we've, we've missed? Um, so I think that, that's the bit that is, is constantly there. Are you sleeping okay? I'm sleeping very well at the moment. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. <laughs> I'm not surprised all that cycling and, and renovation. <laughs> and finally, um, we've talked about how important it is for these things to be taken um, at a very basic level by people who are working in their homes and on the laptops. So what would your best tip be for people to keep secure online at home? So I think I think it's just to stick with the basics. So first of all, it starts with passwords, making sure that you've got uh, you've got a good understanding of either the password policy that comes from uh, your work or you've read up on the NCSC. Uh, three memorable words is, is the best policy at the moment. So it's not trying to think of your dog and then add a number and an exclamation mark underneath or after, afterwards or your cat. It's more about three memorable words. Being very, very disciplined to make sure you do apply that. Also, I suggested in keeping a level of segregation between the passwords you have at home and the passwords that you have at work. Um, and then it's, it come, again, I, I, I'm sort of very repetitive when it comes to basics, but I can't, I, 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 there is so much more we can do by getting the basics right. And it's then, has your, your home computer got the latest antivirus? And in now nowadays, um, has your work computer, has that been online sufficiently so it has been updated with the latest patch? Um, and then being really clear, the basics again of, um, I'm going to click on a link. Do I really trust the link? Um, so it's, it's following, following those principles. Then uh, sort of above, above beyond that, it's um, if I'm printing stuff, um, making sure I'm not leaving it about. And then once we've got all the passwords uh, and we've we sat ourselves our, satisfi satisfied ourselves that um, we're going to apply this password policy in three memorable words, uh, let's not write it down, put it in a book and put it in the top drawer of a, of a shelf. So if we can't remember that password, um, use uh, one of the approved uh, password keepers. Well, look, Kevin, thank you very much for taking time out of what is obviously an extremely busy schedule at the moment. Um, good luck with, with the work. Good luck with the cycling in that Lycra and also good <laughs> luck with the, uh, the house renovation. Thank you very and much. And I hope you get some sleep. Thanks a lot. And thank you very much indeed. Really enjoyed it. You've been listening to We Are The Protectors with me, Andy Johnson. My thanks to Kevin Brown for taking the time to discuss his vital work in these extremely challenging times. Look out for the next episode when I'll be chatting to an elite member of BT's ethical hacking team. It should be another fascinating conversation. If you've been inspired to learn more about security roles at BT, check out the careers website at bt.com forward slash security career. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now. <laughs>